the Blood Covenant. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 2. We thank you that you said again that the entrance of your word brings light, that it brings understanding to the simple. Now, Father, again, I'm asking you to help us and help me as we begin to just talk together about your holy covenant that we have with you. Help me to explain some of these things. Please, I need your help, Holy Spirit, to help me communicate these things so that people will have understanding. I trust you to help me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, this is hour number two in Blood Covenant. Now, before I start here, I'm still on page one of, of lesson one. Like I said, it's eight hours. This, there's nine lessons here, and I will not get through them all. I, like I said, I'm just going to pick what I need to pick here. But as far as this book, The Blood Covenant by H. Clay Trumbull, I do want to just read a couple little very small parts because, like I said before, when you read the book, it begins to strike you. What struck me and what I'm trying to get across to you is how other civilizations held covenants and the understanding of blood, once blood, you'd come in contact with blood, how, how powerfully uh, that was part of everything that their culture stood by and how even insignificant things that had to do with blood made a big difference. Now, this is one case with Livingston. This is a very small one. It says this is an African Livingston. I've got my finger in 14 places here. Excuse me. Ah, whatever. Of the binding force of the covenant, Livingston said further, quote, on one occasion, I became blood relation to a young woman by accident. She had a large cartilaginous tumor between the bones of the forearm, which as it gradually enlarged, so distended the muscles as to render her unable to work. She applied, and remember this is written 1870 something, so it's old English, so it's written differently, the sentence structure. She applied to me to excise. In other words, she asked him if he would cut it out because he was a doctor. I requested her to bring her husband if he were willing to have the operation performed. And while I removed the tumor, one of the small arteries squirted some blood in my eye. She remarked immediately when I was wiping the blood out of it, you were a friend before, but now you're a blood friend, a blood relation. And when you pass this way, you must always now send me word that I may cook food for you, unquote. I mean, that's all I wanted, just that one part. But again, blood, her blood, this accidentally got on him, got him in the eye. And to her, she knew from this day forward, we're in blood relationship. So when you come in this area, you have to stop at my house. I have to cook food for you because of what's just happened, even though it was accident. Now, like I said, I just want to read a couple of other things here. Um, not, I'm not going to, like I said, take time. Normally I take time to read some of these long things like about Stanley with that one chieftain. But let me just read a couple of statements here. The root idea, this is about equatorial Africa and anyhow. But the root idea of this right of blood friendship, because like I think I had it on my original. Uh, no, I don't have it on this one here. But when you talk about covenant, the other, the other phrase that always goes with blood covenant is, strong friendship. It's not just friendship. It's the strong friendship of God with his people. Not just friendship, but the strong friendship of God. And let me just read here. The root idea of this right of blood friendship seems to include the belief that the blood is the life of a living being. 
not merely that the blood is essential to life, but that in a peculiar sense it is life. Now you got to listen. That blood is life. That it actually vivifies or makes alive by its presence. And that by its passing from one organism to another, it literally carries and imparts life. The intercommingling of the blood of two organisms is therefore, according to this view, equivalent to the intercommingling of the lives of the personalities and of the natures that are thus brought together, so that there is thereby and thenceforward one life in two bodies, one common life between two friends, a thought which Aristotle recognized in his citation of the ancient proverb, one soul in two bodies, a proverb which has not lost its currency in any of the centuries. Now again, like I said, I just want to read some of this. You see, all through history, this issue about the right of blood, when blood and blood came together, all other cultures, it spoke to them in the fact that now our lives have become one life. Now be thinking about this as we read, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. I mean, we've got to keep this in mind. What does it really mean? How, you know, that Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, that just like you and I are one, that they may be one with us, that we may be one with them, that we may be one. We're not two. See, God's, anybody can take one and one and make two, but God's the only one that can take two and make one. He and you, we are, the Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Bible says our lives are now hid in Christ. We've been redeemed by this blood. Anyhow, like I said, hopefully this will mean more to you later. Now this is just another little way that they cut covenant in, in, in the Norseland, it says. This is in the last several centuries. Another of the methods by which the rite of blood friendship was observed in the Norseland was by causing the blood of the two covenanting persons to interflow from their pierced hands while they lay together underneath a lifted sod. In other words, they would literally dig up some earth. They would cut these guys' hands. They would grip hands, and these guys would lay down, and they would cover them up and basically bury them while they hold hands. And there'd be a little thing coming out so that they could breathe. The idea involved seems to have been the burial of the two individuals in their separate personal lives and the intermingling of those lives by the intermingling of their blood while in their temporary grave in order to their rising again to one common life, one life, one soul, in two bodies. Again, we could read and read and read. I'm just trying to pull some of these. Um, I made mention of this, but this is like, this is in many, many, many different nations. Like I said, there's so many things here. In Brazil, the Indians were said to have a right of brotherhood so close and sacred that as in the case of the Bedouins in the Jordan, its covenanting, par its covenanting partners were counted as of one blood so that marriage between those thus linked in covenant would be deemed incestuous and therefore was prohibited. There was a word, it says in their language, to express a friend who was loved like a brother. Well, wait a second, that'll just... This tie was held to be as sacred as that of consanguinity and one could not marry the daughter or the sister of the other. A similar tie of adopted brotherhood or of close and sacred friendship is recognized among the North American Indians. 
Writing of the Dakotas of the Sioux, Dr. Riggs, the veteran missionary and scholar, says, where one Dakota takes another as his coda or God, the word means God or friend, think of that, he says, the sacredness of union. From that point on, this person that you enter into covenant with is called God. They become brothers in each other's families and are, as such, of course, unable to intermarry. And Burton, the famous traveler who made this same tribe of study, says of the Dakotas, they are fond of adoption and of making brotherhoods like the Africans. And so strong is the tie that marriage with the sister of an adopted brother is within the prohibited degree. Anyhow, now let me just read another. Like, just bear with me. Like I said, I know that this is, this is why. But again, this is called study. Okay, so again, I don't expect you to like get a ton of revelation when I read a few paragraphs here and there. But it's like I keep trying to say, it's all through history in every single race of mankind. This has been something that's been taken for granted, and like I said, and we've been civilized, civilized away from it. Uh, I'm talking about the Malaysias, the Malays of Timor. It's, it's, it goes through a thing here of how they would cut covenant and cut their arms, take gunpowder and stuff, mix it with uh, dirt and tie it up in a little leather amulet, sew the amulet together, and then you wore it for the rest of your life. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about rings a little later, too, where rings come from, where bracelets come from. Every bracelet you've ever seen, ladies, every necklace you've ever seen, every ring you've ever seen, they all began as a covenant symbol. They spoke to an everlasting union, to something that could never be broken. And, of course, that's what I mean. Today you wear necklaces because you wear necklaces. But in those days, if you wore a necklace, if you wore a ring, if you wore a bracelet, it was huge. It was huge because they identified you for life with some organization, or not organization, some tribe, some area, some culture. Well, let me just go ahead and tell you. Now I'm gonna, I'll, just, I'll, 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 I'll cause trouble right from the beginning. This wedding ring I have on, you know, you know where this, it speaks of an indissoluble union for sure, but you know where the wedding ring actually came from? Of course, they say that they put it on this finger because the idea was they thought that there was a nerve that went straight, the closest nerve to the heart, that there was a nerve that ran straight down the third finger all the way to the heart. That's not really true, but the issue isn't whether or not it's true. They believed it, and because they believed it, they started using that. But the original marriage, uh, the, married, the, the original wedding ring, you know, wasn't a ring made out of metal. They would take uh, a, a piece of flint, and normally they would do it around the thumb right here. They would cut the thumb all the way around. They would gash and gash and gash until it was bleeding freely. Then they would take salt or gunpowder, uh, depending on the area, and they would rub it and rub it and rub it and dirt and what have you and rub it and rub it and just like that until it would, when it healed, it, it left a large welt, a scar all the way around. Now all through the Bible, you're going to see things where like the Bible says, the Lord lifted his hand and swore. He lifted his arm and swore because in their hand was a scar. Iron their arm was a scar. It was always, that's where you looked. When you raised your hand in those days, if you were in covenant with a woman, everybody knew it. And where it gets sticky is like this. If you've got this thing cut in your thumb and it represents the fact that you're in covenant with a woman, now don't get mad at me now, but you don't take one of those off very easy. Do you hear me? You don't take one of those off very easy because again, covenant men once in, never out. I said, once in, never out. That's what a covenant is. How many of you know we've gone a little bit away from that today? One in two marriages. They say now one in two marriages end up in divorce. Once in, never out. 
But if anybody here has gone through that, I don't want anybody in condemnation because we're going to move from what ignorance we had and to move to something that's better. You, you understand what I'm trying to say? But the point is, this is why, again, when we get in this stuff later, you're going to find out, and maybe I'll get to just a couple of at least statements of it here. Nobody entered into covenant, like I referred to in the first hour, without long, long, long talks and negotiations. No tribes did. No people did. Because the issue was a covenant was so holy. It was so holy. I'm telling you, it was so holy. Well, yours is mine. What's mine is yours. It was so holy. It was so complete. It was so everlasting that you wanted to make sure before you ever got into covenant that you were serious. Covenant takes things out of the realm of feelings. See, even like I remember when Julie and I first got married, a couple of first time we ever had an argument or something, I remember Julie saying, you know, the old thing like wives do, you know, I thought we were just going to be happy forever. And I thought, I just thought, you know, the Bible says the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it. And I said, sweetheart, I said, marriage, you're gonna, we have to, I said, you're going to have to work at it. I said, it's like we're both going to have to work at this because I said, you know, we're both human. I'm strong. You're strong. There's the, the, the scripture, you know, every married couple want to have a scripture from the Bible. It's all romantic and nice to get married with. You know what scripture God gave us? Iron sharpens iron. And trust me, there's been sparks. <laughs> but the point is, see, covenant, what, when you have a revelation of covenant, You see, divorce isn't even an, ever an option. Seriously, you have to understand me. I don't care whatever happens between Julie and I. You see, by virtue of the fact that we know God and we're in covenant with one another and in covenant with God, well, if we have problems, we will work through them. That's just the way it is. I have no other option. Do you hear me? Yes. I'm in covenant. I have no other option. This ring will never come off my hand, ever. 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 Because I understand what it means. But this is what I'm trying to say. See, somehow, someway, we've got to get God's people back to covenant understanding. And we've got to study this thing because, you see, this is the issue. Whether you understand it or whether you understand the strength of it or not, He does. But we've been violating. You see, when you begin, if, if you really will stick with this, and after we're done with just eight hours, and eight hours ain't zip to teach on covenant. But when we get done with this eight hours, at least I'm praying that just that much will begin to give you an understanding of why, well, give you an understanding of where some answers come to some Bible issues. What I mean is you'll find out like in the Old Testament, when the covenant that God had with man, with Moses, the mosaic, that's the, that's the, whole, the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, there's several covenants. But you have to understand, you see, people still today say, well, God hurts people. Look what he did back then in the Old Testament. What they don't understand is, this is why I'm getting ahead of myself again in Ephesians, it says to be a stranger to the covenant is to be as good as without God and without hope in this world. But God is a covenant God. When man violates covenant, in every covenant, there are blessings for keeping it and there are curses for breaking it. When man continually broke covenant for God to keep covenant, he had to remove 
the protective barrier that he'd promised. He had to allow some things to happen that were never his will. But he said, if you'll walk up right before me, none of that will happen to you. You'll be before me. But God's people kept breaking covenant over and over again. And this is why it gets real important. God is never, God in the Old Testament, like I said, we had it in the Bible school that we were at. We had to look at every single scripture in the Old Testament that said, I am God like an Amos. I am God. I create evil. I kill. I make alive. Well, you know, you read that at face value and you freak out. I'm God. I create evil, <laughs> you know. But when it says, I'm, you know, God's going to kill these people, God's going to destroy those people. But in every single case, Dr. Bob Yandy and Dr. Ken Stewart, like I said, these guys, 20-year Hebrew scholars, 20-year Greek scholars. Every, we have so much more information about uh, original languages than we did when so many of the, of the commentaries and things were written because of the Dead Sea Scrolls and everything else. But the point is, every single verse in the Old Testament where it says God did something, almost, well, I'm saying almost, but I, literally just about every single case, they're translated in the King James to a causative sense. In other words, where I caused, God is the cause of it. But with the understanding that they have of languages, it's amazing. They showed us so clear with overheads back and forth, what they call etym biblical etymology, when you study the, the usage of words and how they fit together. Every single verse was not translated causative. I mean, it was never written in the causative. It was written in the permissive sense. And that's a big deal. And people say, well, what's the difference between God causing and God permitting it? Well, it's a huge difference because God's not the author of evil, but God is the author of a covenant. And in a covenant, when people break covenant, he has to, to keep the covenant, he has to permit some of that junk to happen. It's not his will. This is why when even people broke covenant, part of the covenant was, if you would repent, if you'll say, I'm sorry, if you'll come back, you're right back under the protective wing of God again, and all of that judgment will go away from you. I just want people to see this stuff. And I mean, like I said, you got to, I've been you know, looking at this stuff. It's in my soul so deep and I can't express it well enough because, and I'm not like trying to pat myself or nothing because I don't, I'm not the end of all and be all of this stuff. But you see, you, when you study it for like 20 years and you read everything you can read on it and it begins to saturate your spirit, you begin to understand some things that you can't explain. You can't explain to somebody in five minutes. Well, why does God do that? You just kind of, you just kind of, well, you can't because you can't explain it unless somebody's willing to sit down and listen for about nine months, five days a week. But it can be explained, but it takes some time. Let me just read something else. So close and sacred is this covenant relation, this right of blood friendship, this inter-oneness of life by an inter-oneness of blood that it shows itself in the most primitive east, in the wild, the prehistoric west, in the frozen north, and in the toward south. Its traces are everywhere. It is of, of, it is of old and it is of today, as universal and as full of meaning as life itself. It will be observed that we have already noted proofs of the independent existence of this rite of blood brotherhood or blood friendship among the three great primitive divisions of all the races, the Semitic, the Hamitic, and the Japhetic. You know, the three sons of Noah, as I referred to earlier. And this in Asia, Africa, Europe, America, and the islands of the sea, again, among the five modern and more popular divisions of the human family, the Caucasian, the Mongolian, the Ethiopian, the Malay, and the American. This fact in itself would seem to point to a common origin of its various manifestations. 
throughout the entire earth. Oh, I just want to see if I want to read one other thing to you here. Again, it's just story after story of cutting with swords and stuff and how things happen and the amulets uh, and the armlets and the bracelets, like I said, and what they stand for. Anyway, let me get back to the outlines. Back to the outline here, like I said, we just finished in point two and we said the Bible is full of covenant terminology. Now, point three, just listen to this little subtle difference. Covenant is what allows us to get in touch with our God. And I have down here two words. I've got covenant and theology. And I put down the meeting because how many of you, if you've been to school at all, you know, different ologies, geology, archaeology, you know, anthropology, ology, what's that suffix mean? Ology means the study of, right? Anthro, man, anthro, anthrop, anthropus, anthro means man. Anthropology is the study of man. You know, geology, the study of earth. Well, we've got people today that, are, that study theology. Now, I want you to just listen to the phrase. It's the study of God. You've got to hear me. You can study about God your whole life and never be in relationship with Him. We have seminaries today that have professors of theology and professors of biblical studies that aren't saved. You do know that, right? They're, 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 they're definitely not saved, not born again whatsoever. Because you can study the Bible just like you can study a handbook of a car or a handbook of a washing machine. You can know everything about the Bible, everything about a washing machine, <laughs> but not know God. Again, tree of knowledge, tree of life. You see, theology is the study of God. Covenant is relationship with God. Are you listening? Big difference. There's nothing wrong with having being a theologian as long as you are saved. <laughs> and you don't allow doctrine or knowledge in and of itself. What does the scripture say in Corinthians about mere knowledge? It says knowledge puffs up. See, mere knowledge, it's just your head can get so full of information that again, information in and of itself becomes what you worship. We refer to that in some of our past conferences as the Greek mindset. You can, you can approach it from different ways. In other words, people just get, they just want more and more information. But the problem, again, is it's very subtle. You can get caught in a trap where you begin to live your life searching for more and more information, again, without ever finding the life that the information is actually pointing to. Jesus said it this way. He said, you search the scriptures. For in them, he said, you think, you think that you'll find me. Very trippy when you think about what he's really saying. He said, you search the scriptures. For in them, he said, you think you'll find me. <laughs> How many of you know we're supposed to search the scriptures? Right? But searching the scriptures isn't communing with God. God wants fellowship. God wants fellowship. He is a lover. He's the lover of your soul, it says. He wants to be your friend that sticks closer than a brother. He doesn't want to just be somebody you study. And like I think I put down here, religion will ultimately talk you out of a relationship with your God. Quickly, we become in religion a third party 
standing on the outside, studying God and Jesus to find out who he is, what he's done, where he is going. Then we, if we're not careful, we begin to see God somewhere out there doing the same with us. He's out there studying us. In other words, one of us is a monkey in a zoo. You know what I mean? We go to church to watch this monkey. Forgive me, I'm not being, you know, mean. I'm not calling God a monkey, but you hear what I'm trying to say? We, we just study. We look and we watch, but we don't commune. We don't understand that this is why. I mean, why is, what's that got to do with the covenant? Well, you've got to know this is what all those verses that mean when it says that, for example, that that dividing wall of partition that was between us, Jesus Christ took away. He broke it down. He took away all the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and he nailed them to his cross. He took it out of the way. He got everything out of the way that got in the way of just you and God coming together. Again, we look at it this way. This is why uh, in the Old Testament, we're gonna, we'll get to this, but remember, God and man, because of the fall of Lucifer, fall of man and Lucifer's deception, Remember, God and man were separated, whereas they walked together in the garden in the cool of the day, and they had fellowship one with another. But sin brought separation between God and man. God is holy. God cannot fellowship with a sinful man. So what God does is he finds a man who will obey him, and this man happened to be Abraham. And what we'll get to later is when God said to Abraham, Abraham in Genesis 15, I will make my covenant, listen to the next word, between. Everybody say between. between. I will make my covenant between. It was God's idea. I will make my covenant between me and thee. Here's God, okay? Here's God. Here's man. They're separated. You watching? Here's God. Here's man. They're separated. God finds a man who will enter into agreement. They cut covenant. And now what's between God and man is a covenant. Now man can get to God, but he has to come through the covenant. Now God can get to man, but the only way he can do it is to get to man through the covenant. That's the whole basis of our faith. Now in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb sacrifice for us. He's the covenant sacrifice, sacrifice for us. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So today, here it is like this. Here's God, here's man, here's Jesus. The only way man can get to God is to come through Jesus the only way God can get to man is to come through Jesus. This is why I'm sorry, but if you're trying to come through Muhammad or Confucius or Buddha, you may be saying you've met God, but you've not met God because there's, this is going to be the major issue in the last days, and we're already seeing how the political correctness issue is upon us already, because we will be accused of being exclusive, and we're going to have to plead guilty. I said guilty, because you, there's many ways to God. No, there isn't. I said no, there isn't. There's only one way to God. There's only one mediator, Paul said through Timothy, 
There's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. There's only one way to God. And we're going to be able to say that loud, and we will not be popular for it. You hear me? You do know that's already in our midst, to say the least. We will not be popular, but you're going to have to be bold. You're going to have to know this covenant so that you won't be shaken by that very truth. Okay? So theology. We're not talking about theology. Theology is the study of God. Communion, or rather covenant, is, is, is a relationship with Him. It's communing with Him. It's God and son, God and daughter. Like I said, religion will ultimately talk you out of communion with God. Now, point four, covenants, of course, were made throughout the Bible. Now, I'm actually going to, let me just read one page here, this thing, because I've got a marker on here. Let me read page, on page 220-something. I just want to read this, if I may. It says, now listen, it says, It is a peculiarity of the primitive compact of blood friendship. Are you listening? It is a peculiarity of this primitive compact of blood friendship that he who would enter into it must be ready to make a complete surrender of himself in loving trust to him with whom he covenants. He must, in fact, so love and trust as to be willing to merge his separate individuality in the dual personality of which he becomes an integral part. Only he who believes in another unreservedly and fearlessly can take such a step intelligently. Now, did you hear that? I'm going to read it again. He must, in fact, so love and trust, so love and trust as to be willing to merge his separate. In other words, you are no longer your own. Hear me? He must, in fact, so love and trust as to be willing to merge his separate individuality in the dual personality of which he becomes an integral part. Only he who believes in another unreservedly, unreservedly and fearlessly can take such a step intelligently. The record concerning Abraham stands, quote, he believed in the Lord and God counted it to him for righteousness. The Hebrew word himin, here translated believed in, carries the idea always of an unqualified, absolute committal of self to another. Unqualified, unqualified, absolute committal of self to another. I'm just going to keep reading from it. It is from the root aman with the twofold idea of to be faithful and to trust. Its correspondent word in the Arabic, amanya, carries the same double idea of a confident and an entire committal of self to another in trust and in trustworthiness. Lane's definition of the substantive from this Hebrew word is, quote, the becoming true to the trust, the becoming true to the trust with respect to which God has confided in one 
by a firm believing of the heart. Abraham so trusted the Lord that he was ready to commit himself to the Lord as in the right of blood friendship. Now listen. Therefore the Lord counted Abraham's spirit of loving and longing trust as the equivalent of a spiritual likeness with himself. In other words, when he saw Abraham's commitment, his spirit of loving, the level of trust, God saw that as an equivalent to a likeness of himself. <laughs> See, now you won't get that right now, but you're going to get it later. Trust me. Because when God sees faithfulness, loyalty, devotion, a spirit of loving, this trust, this confidence, he sees himself. This is why the more he sees himself in us, the more he can trust you because he can trust himself. <laughs> See, I got to walk so slow with it. You understand that I don't have to, I, I, I don't ask myself if I can trust myself with my money. It's my money. You know what I mean? If I knew that you thought exactly like I thought, I'd have no problem trusting you with something that I put great value in. If God begins to see himself in you, I'm just trying to tell you that God can trust himself with his power. I said God can trust himself with his own power. Well, if he begins to see a spiritual likeness of himself in you, he can trust you with what he has. Well, like I said, it begins to answer some questions. Why don't we see a lot more power in the church or things like that? Well, you know, if you are so easily angered, if you freak out the moment somebody gives you sign language on the street, you know, and you, and, you, know, and you turn to them and say, you know what? You know, I mean, you'd kill them with the word, wouldn't you? Seriously. That anger, that stuff happens so quick and so spontaneous. If your words actually carried the power that God's word carries, you would kill people. You would be this, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? You'd be the destruction because, you, you know, forget being cast into the sea. You, you know, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. So God can't afford to allow the total release of what he has in us when he continues to see what is not his likeness because he knows that he won't slip up, but you might. So he's, he's got to catch you in a moment. He's got to catch you in a moment of devotion that's beyond your norm. And then he'll let a little mercy flow <laughs> if you see what I'm trying to say. Anyhow, back then, like point four. Point A under point four. Covenants demanded, and I'm saying it slow because I really want you to get this. Covenants demanded absolute unwavering loyalty. Therefore, the effect, the effect of making of the of the making of the covenant had to be strong enough. In other words, when you made a covenant with somebody, what you did, like if we read in here about, like I said, when they take the little knives and they cut the hand or they cut this or they cut the ear, or they wherever, like I'm going to read, wherever there was a covenant, what's the Hebrew word, berith? It means to cut where blood flows. 
things are going to happen. Well, let me just read. Covenants demanded absolute unwavering loyalty. There's, therefore, the effect of the making of the covenant had to be strong enough to affect your whole being, spirit, soul, and body for at least eight generations. There's going to be a lasting remembrance. Now, again, I could read you stories in here of after Stanley, after Livingston, or rather after this guy named Frank Pocock, who, who traveled with Stanley, he had cut covenant with this one man, this one chieftain in Africa. Frank Pocock died. Four years later, four years later, Livingston runs into this other chieftain who knew who Pocock had actually cut this with. And four years later, this man is saying to, to Livingston, Everything I have, everything this tribe has is yours, he said, because of Frank Pocock. Because even though he's dead, four years gone by, and it was actually him that I cut covenant with, because you and he were brothers, I'm your brother. I'm just saying there was so much, it was just the normal thing of life, the normal place of devotion, the normal commitment was, if you've been in covenant with them, we're brothers. That's just the way it is. We're brothers. What do you want? What do you need? If it's mine, it's yours. We're brothers. I mean, that was throughout all history. I mean, like I said, the covenant breakers have always been around, but there have been a lot more who were deeply and understood the opposite. Point B, things are going to be done in your spirit, your soul, and your body. There's going to be some pain, like I said, because it was a physical cut. And as I put down here, you, you remember where scars from. Now, uh, you know, and I always, I, when I used to teach, I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got scars in my body, you know, from my, my old days. How many of you got scars in your body somewhere? How many of you can look at that scar and, rem, and remember exactly how it happened? I've got a, a scar across my hand here. Uh, I was a kid running next to my house, running next to the door, to our, our little, our, the side of the house when we were kids. And there was this little fence, and this little fence had this, it, 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 it was like sheet metal, and it came up, and it was super sharp, came up like this, and it came up to a square. And I was running, chasing my friend, and my hand came down, and went bump, and then my hand impaled itself on this, on this fence, and the top of the fence was sticking out the center of my hand. And I went, <laughs> jerk, you know what I mean? I will never forget, looking back at my hand, and seeing the blood coming out of the, top, out of the center of my hand and seeing that piece of metal sticking through my hand, my hand stuck on the fence. I will never forget that. I will never forget my dad lifting my hand off the fence. I will never forget that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I will, I will never forget that. I, uh, I've got a scar here. I can remember being stupid, whittling with an X-Acto knife, you know, those super sharp knives and balls of wood like an idiot. And I put it this way and I went, like that, I'm in that, and you know, it went right to the bone. Knife so right flat, straight to the bone. I got this wonderful scar here. I mean, I got scars all over my body for some other things that I won't even tell you about <laughs> from uh, you know BC before Christ because of my unfortunate testimony. Uh, I can tell you about a knife sticking out part of my arm from a guy that. Uh, anyhow, I can tell you about some things. Uh, scars affect remembrance. You'll always, you'll always remember. I'll always remember that. I'll never forget. I will never forget this. I'll never forget this. I'll never forget. I'll never forget him. 
And the whole idea of covenants and why there were cuts is because it is going to affect remembrance. Scars and cuts affect remembrance. There's going to be things done in your body. There's going to be an impact on your spirit. When these guys, like I said, see right now in my mind, my soul is rolling around about 25 different stories of, of all the detailed stuff that these people would do in these tribes and stuff and how they'd have a thousand witnesses around and, we're, and this, the stuff that they went through and this, this curses and the blessings and what they had to bite, what they had to eat, what they had to cut, the stuff that they, just incredible stuff. Point C, I just said this is what will stop divorces in the body of Christ. Marriage isn't to be based on paper and ink but on blood. Now, we're adults in here. I'm going to talk about something horrible for a moment that none of you have ever heard of called sex. I'm just going to see how many are smiling. See how many adults we have. See who I can embarrass. You know, when I worked for Dr. Ed Cole, you know, Dr. Ed Cole was a, he was a prophet to me and he was my spiritual father. And he taught, he wrote a book called The Sacredness of Sex and he, and he, he talked about it when we go in these Bible colleges and he teach. And he, I will, you know, I'd studied Blood Covenant for a long time before I met Dr. Cole. But I had never in my life seen the connection between a blood covenant and marriage before until he taught on the sacredness of sex. Now, today, well, let me put it this way. Ideally, in God's economy, like I said, we're adults, so I'm going to talk straight. Ideally, in God's economy, you see, when a man and a woman were to be married, they were both virgins, right? And especially in the old Judeo, at the, to this day, still in Arab countries, you know, when a marriage is consummated, uh, the, all the, the people round about the wedding, what have you, they actually wait, especially in Jewish weddings, the principle was when you got married, you said, you know, you're pronounced man and wife, the husband and wife excused themselves to a room where they consummated the marriage right then, right now. Because part of the marriage was that they would then, now this may sound horrible, but it's all through history, they would bring the sheet out that they slept on with the blood to prove that she had been a virgin. And if there was no blood, the man could claim that she'd played the harlot in Israel. The man could claim that she was not a virgin and the marriage could be annulled right then and there. There had to be blood. Why? Because again, the husband and wife, as they came together for the very first time, were to both be virgins. Now think about it. Now don't get freaked out on me, but just listen to the holiness of this. Every young person on the earth needs to know this, especially in the body of Christ. When you think about then when a husband and a, and a wife, when they first come together in sexual intercourse, if the woman is a virgin, her hymen is intact. And Dr. Cole, I never saw it. He said, when the male member enters the woman, that hymen is broken and blood simultaneously flows on the man and the woman. It's a blood covenant. I don't know if you understand what that means. It's, this is why the Bible says that fornication is the one sin that's against the whole body of Christ. This is why sex today is sold cheaper than anything there is on the planet Earth. It's, a, it's the cheapest thing there is out there, and it's one of the holiest things to God there is because sex, the actual act of sex, is the token of the covenant of marriage because that's what caused the blood to flow. That's what was the absolute 
absolute consummation of the covenant when a husband and wife came together. Now, I'm telling you, that's holy. You guys are all getting quiet on me now, see? But I'm telling you, this is holy. See, that is holy, holy ground. And I mean, I remember at a Bible college, Dr. Cole teaching this and talking to these young men and young women, and, and so many of them had made mistakes, and he taught on something, and a, lot of, a couple of theologians really got mad at him. And he said, you know... He said, now that you've heard, because he taught this whole teaching on the sacred and showed it all through here about, again, like I said, once they go into the bedchamber, the sheet brought out and all this stuff. And he said, well, you may have made mistakes. And he said, you may no longer be a virgin. But he said, once you've heard this truth, he said, you can receive back into your life the spirit of virginity. Oh, it was heavy. It was a heavy day. Bible college, 5,000 students at this Bible college. These are Bible, Bible college students. He said, you can receive back in your life the spirit of virginity where you can, before God, right now, come to this altar and say, in Jesus' name, I am going to contain myself and keep myself until the appointed time that God brings me into covenant with the man or with the woman that he's ordained for me to be in covenant with. I'm going to keep myself until that moment. Bible college, some 5,000 students, over 2,000 students in this Bible college came forward to receive back into the life the spirit of virginity. It was one of the heaviest things I'd ever been at in my life. You're talking about the weeping and the crying and the tears and what have you. But the point is, right here again, you see, if we had more revelation of covenant, I mean, first of all, people wouldn't be going out and having sex with anybody they wanted to all the time because that creates soul ties. I mean, even, you know, I've never taught you on soul ties, but soul ties are heavy things. Uh, he that is joined under the harlot, if you join yourself to a harlot, it says you become one with the harlot. You, you become one with harlot trees and spiritual things that you just don't want to be messing around with, I'm telling you. And I don't have time to teach on that right now. But the point is this, you see, it's a holy thing. And when you've got a revelation of that, like I said, see, and like the ring and what have you, it's, it's the solution to divorces, the understanding of blood covenant. Because for one thing, you'll keep yourself holy unto God. And if our young people knew it, they'd keep themselves holy unto God and they wouldn't be making the stupid mistakes and flowing the way the rest of the world flows now where, again, like anything, who keeps no, you know, it's just, they all say it's no big deal. In fact, you know, even, you know, I'm not the ancient of days. I ain't that old. <laughs> but I can remember when I was in high school, when I was in school, remember, I mean, I graduated high school in 1965. And I remember when I was in high school, the girl who slept with somebody had the bad reputation. You know what I mean? I mean, everybody, you know, she. She was the loose one. Everybody knew that she, she had the bad reputation. Today, the girls who don't sleep with somebody are the ones that are laughed at and the ones that have the bad reputation. I mean, you know, so hell's turned everything backwards. Now, I know none of that applies to you guys because you're all pristine, holy, perfect people. <laughs> the point is, it's something that is holy. It is sacred, and it's something that you need to keep in your spirit and those of you that know others, you need to take this kind of information and boldly begin to tell them, you know, this is a holy thing. Thank God for the great move of God amongst the young people on the earth today where they're, they're swearing themselves to virginity to keep themselves. In one day. I think that's, that's an awesome thing, and God is blessing them big time. Anyhow, so covenants were made. There's things going to be done in your spirit, your soul, and your body is going to be pain, cuts, effect, remembrance. Point C, this is what will stop divorce in the body of Christ. Marriage isn't based on paper and ink, but on blood. Now, point D is important, and I'm going to have to actually stop with this because I can't get to the next part. But anyhow, just back to this point D. Let's just stay with point D. Covenants, listen to this. This is deeply important. Covenants were based on differences 
on differences, not similarities. Did you hear that? They're based on differences, not similarities, okay? Now, most people today, the only reason you can, you know, you come, people want to come together, companies want to come together, whatever, because we think exactly the same. Never in scripture, never in history were covenants based upon similarities. They were based upon differences because the issue was you entered into covenant with somebody because they had what you didn't. Covenants were made, you know, to, the Lord said this to me a long time. Well, see, today, unfortunately, even in church life, the moment people think differently than we do, we separate ourselves from them, which is really a shame. It's really stupid. It's actually insanity. Because the issue is, it's like people who don't believe in healing, they don't want anything to do with them people that believe in healing. People that speak in tongues don't want anything to do with people that don't speak in tongues. And I mean, it's just crazy because, you know, this guy, this, this church may have 20 years of experience in healing. And you got none. This church may have 20 years of experience in evangelism, and you got none. Just think about it. If you got together, you'd have four years of experience in 20 years of time. But again, because we don't get together because we think differently, we violate the very basic principle of what our covenant was about. And the Lord said this to me years ago. He said, He said, if you would understand, he said, I want you not to divide over your differences. He said, I want you to learn to celebrate your differences. He said, if you'd become comfortable with your differences, and, and he said, and establish in your similarities, he said, I'd work miracles in your midst. I would work miracles in your midst. But again, that's, if you could just catch that as we stop here, that is so basic. You come together because of differences. Listen, listen. Marriage. Men and women are to get married. You are different. And like, forgive me, using the only old joke there is, in the Garden of Eden, God didn't make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. <laughs> you know, the old thing. But think about it. The very basic issue of where procreation, where does creativity and birth come from? It comes from the two opposites coming together. That's the basic premise of all life. Opposites coming together cause creativity. If all you ever do is hang around somebody that knows exactly what you know, you're limited to do exactly what you know. I want to be around people that know stuff I don't know. Hallelujah. Anyhow, let's just stop there. And that's enough for you to think on anyhow for a little bit, right? Until next week. And Father, we again, we just, we thank you, Lord, for a beginning here. We thank you that... You help us, Lord, to just begin to delve into these things and, well, just to learn. That you might help us learn what you want us to learn as we look into this. So we praise you in the name of the Lord Jesus, Father. And we thank you for your long-suffering and your patience with us. And just help us, Lord, as we look further into covenant. In Jesus' name, amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.